Well, this morning, uh, I'm starting a, a new series called Living the Gospel, Christ in Me. Um, this, is, this is kind of a, a unique subject in a way, not really. I mean, many of us have heard that Christ in me and what that means. We just sang those songs. But I changed this idea here, living the gospel. Usually you hear gospel living, and it's kind of the idea of, of being missional and going out and taking the gospel out. But one of the things that have been striking me over the last few years, and probably even as God has worked through my life, is this idea that we are to be living the gospel. And I think many times we as Christians, we begin to kind of falter through life and wander through life, and we forget well, what is, the, what is the purpose? What, what is our life about? Is it, is it just that we receive Christ and, and now we just kind of wait for the second coming and, and eternal life, but between the time we receive Christ and the time he comes, we just kind of exist? Is, is that what God intended? I've often have struggled with different aspects. There's been times in my own walk, in my own time with God, where I've tried to understand the things and the purposes and what she's trying to do in my life and find myself at times frustrated. And, and those times aren't, aren't always bad. We need to go through those times where we, where we dig down and we kind of separate in our lives our, our understanding of who he is and the understanding of who we are in Christ. And that we begin to understand those things, those, those struggles are not always bad struggles. Those struggles are part of the growth process, even as we watch our own children go through times as, as they grow and we, we begin to allow them to go through these difficulties and to begin to experience life and how to respond. Well, there's, there's an aspect of this that's true in our spiritual lives as well, that we learn to depend on God. But then I think sometimes we as Christians, if we're not careful, we begin, become more concerned about the image of being a Christian than the actual identity of being a Christian. And what do I mean by that? That, that I think sometimes we go through a process where we, we want to prop up and keep this particular look, but at the same time, we, we find ourselves lost and hopeless and, and struggling in our own walks. And we think that if we add these, you know, maybe, maybe if we add some spiritual gifts and miracles and these happenings, that somehow life becomes more vibrant and more positive and more exciting. And yet I find in my walk with God, having gone through that and seeing that as a young person in my family, yet I find that the vibrance of my life is learning to to be at peace with God and the comfort that comes with knowing him, with, with understanding that the, man, the joy of our God, that is really our strength. And how do we find that? How do we, how do we begin to pursue that? And so many times I've, I begin to think through these times and I begin to think through these and I'm wondering what does this look like? And, and really what is life all about? Is it just simply existing from, from birth to grave and, and hoping for the best after life? Or is there, is, there, is there much more to the vitality of life? One of our favorite movies in the Lingle family that we, love, that we love to watch, we have our favorites probably like you all do too, is called The Princess Bride. Many of you know that. And there's a scene in The Princess Bride after Wesley, who's still 
still seen as the pirate. Buttercup doesn't know that he's Wesley yet, and he had just conquered the the, 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 the guys that were, had captured her and, and he's challenging her for her true love. That, did she really have true love or how long did she wait? And in, in a moment, Buttercup in frustration just yells, you mock my pain. And Wesley simply responds, life is pain, highness. And anyone who tells you differently is selling something. <laughs> I've always laughed at that scene because is that true? I mean, you know, when I'm sharing Christ, am I just selling something or is there truth? And what is that? What does that look like? I know I was reading some other things about life and the meaning of life and how people look at life. And one person had said life really boils down to one thing, one purpose, survival. That's it. Gosh, that's, that's kind of depressing if you think about it. I read, I read some others where the guardian asked the question, why do we live life? We live because of the happy things. We live because there are people who love us and people we love back. We live because we want to find out things and learn and become able to do things that we would like to do. We live because, because others want, want us to and we want to live, uh, we want to live along with them. With them. There's this picture of, of this idea that happiness is, is these things that we kind of enjoy and there's people that we love and, and absolutely that's in a part of life. Cora asked the question of, can you answer what life is in one word? And their response was, life is a question that can't be answered in one word or single sentence. Life is what you do, what you love, what you hate, what you dislike. Precisely, life is a journey. Birth comes first. And I found that interesting. We're going to talk about that in a second. Birth comes first. Psychology Today, answering the question, what is the meaning of life? They said this, the actual meaning of life is to fulfill your purpose in life and accomplish your goals. What I mean by this, everyone has a purpose of why they are living. None of us will be here if we didn't have a purpose. And I found that interesting that in all of those, in all of those results and all of those thoughts, there was this idea that within us is this purpose, this, this, this idea of enjoying life. And is, is that what we've been created for, that we just have this purpose? In fact, what I did is over the last few weeks here, I've looked up all the references in the scripture referring to life. And there was over 500 of them from Old Testament to the New Testament. And just looking at how, do, how, do, how does the scriptures begin to look at that. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Well, I begin to ask that question. Well, what does that look like? Is it simply having a, a life that is carefree and, and everything goes well, everything works well? I mean, how many times, and boy, let me raise my hand here. Let me just say it this way. How many times have I been mad at God because things in my life didn't happen the way I wanted them to. Some purposes that I planned, some goals that I had didn't turn out exactly the way I intended or even wanted them to or even strive for. Does that mean that somehow my purpose wasn't accomplished or somehow that's that God wanted the, the worst for me? You see, our greatest fear as believers is that somehow by obeying God, we won't be happy. 
That somehow that if we, if we take to God's word and, and we make it the love of our life and, and the intention of our life, that somehow we're going to miss out on life. And it, it becomes an issue for us. Life gets hard, and I've seen it for folks where life begins to get hard and, and they begin to walk away from God. And I hear things like, well, I prayed, but God didn't answer. And I, I hear things like, well, I trusted God with everything. I, I had a friend in college who, who gave up a great career to, to go into the ministry. He came to college, to Bible college where I was at. He came there, he gave up so much. And while he was there in his first year, he started having some health problems. And I remember having a conversation one day where he, where he finally said, he finally just said, what, this is enough. How much does God want from me? And we, we've been there. And it was everything for him not to walk away from God at that moment. Because in that moment, in that moment of doubt and uncertainty, he found himself wondering what life was all about. And did God really have his best? That following God, was God really was God really bringing out the best in his life? He felt like he gave up so much and so much had gone wrong. Oh yeah, we can identify it and say, oh, that's a spiritual battle. And it definitely is. But do we understand the working of God in our lives? One of the things I began to think about, in fact, that one reference where birth, became, uh, birth, birth comes first, is I began to think about just birth. I mean, what takes place when we talk about birth and we talk about living our life and the possessions and the vocations and the things of our life, and it begins with birth. And I, I began to think, well, you know what? Some of the things as I began to think about this subject is that I realized that I believe in an almighty God. I believe in a God who is a creator, who, who breathed life into the nostrils of man, I believe in a God who's spoken to us and has, word, has given his word that we might know him and know his truth. And I believe that God has made himself and revealed himself to us. So I went back to Genesis chapter 2, verse, verse 7. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, now I have it here on your screen. Or it says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust <clears throat> From the, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. There's a couple of things in this that really stood out to me as I began to look at this passage. The first is it says the Lord formed. It's interesting, that word, the idea or that word to form is like the idea of an artist or a potter who, who shapes a clay. When you start thinking of those terms where you hear people talk about God being a potter, a potter and shaped us, well, that's really somewhere where that word comes from. It's the idea that God formed and, and created and brought about this man and he formed him out of the dust from the ground. Now just stop right there. I've often imagined when I've thought about this passage is, you know, you see, you, see, you see Adam laying there. God had created him. He formed him and he brought him about. He, in all of his majesty and his creativity, God brought him about. And there he is, he's laying there. Now, Adam didn't get up. Adam didn't just say, hey, you know what? I'm life. I'm gonna live. Adam didn't find in the midst of his being divinity and say, here's the divine and, and now I'm going to rise up. No, he laid there. He laid there until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And it says, and the man became a living creature, a living being. 
The picture is such that, that when God breathed into him, he made him a spiritual being. He gave him this capacity whereby now he can fellowship with God. That, that now the beginning of humanity, beginning with Adam, now has this ability to and this capacity to com communicate with God, to talk with God through his word, to have fellowship with him. I find it interesting in the scriptures, if you go and you look at the garden, here God comes into the garden in the cool of the day, and he's expecting, he's expecting to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. But a tragedy had taken place, and we all know too well. And sin entered in, and it, and it began to separate that relationship between God and, and man. And now at the beginning of humanity, we only see through this, this, trips, this time, through the paces of time, we see this separation taking place. But when you look at the beginning, when you look at the creation, it was God who gave life. And one of the things I come to the conclusion about, if I'm going to understand what life is all about, I have to begin with the creator. When I was in college, I had some car trouble, and there was this one guy that was really good mechanic and I had to like pull out the transfer case and all this stuff and but it needed a special tool and the, at the time the tool was outrageously just an outrageous price and I'm sitting there trying to figure out how to buy that tool and so we had put it in his garage and left it for a couple of days and I went over it was on a Saturday I went over to 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 begin to work on it and he hands me this piece of metal I had no idea what this metal was for. To me, it looked like, you know, just something to throw over in the trash can. It was just, it didn't, didn't look like or resemble anything that I was familiar with. And I never forget it when I asked him, I said, well, what is this? He goes, that's that tool. That's the tool we need to get that bolt out in order to drop the transfer case. And he showed me how it fit, per fit perfectly up there because he understood the intention and the purpose of that tool. Well, God is the creator. He understands the intention and the purpose for our lives. He understands the intention and the purpose for humanity. And it becomes very important that when we begin to understand what life is about, we have to understand what the creator intended. And I think so many times when we look at that, we forget that, that truth. In Psalm, Psalm uh, 1611, it says, you, referring to God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. In fact, throughout the Psalms, you'll start seeing many times different references to, to passages where it talks about. In fact, if you go to Psalm 119, there's several in that. Things where he says, he says give me life in your ways. He says, your promises give me life. Give me life according to your steadfast love. And you find this over and over throughout the scriptures and that they're looking for life. But often in the Old Testament, it seems that, that life is really geared to, to the length of life, that God extended their days or the, the different, different aspects of, of, their, of their life and what's going on. And what's interesting is in the Old Testament, they really looked at, at life. That if you were wealthy, you were righteous. If you were poor, you were a sinner. And it was fine that even within the scriptures. In fact, if you go to the, to the life of Job, you remember Job? And God said to, to, to Satan, he said, 
Have you noticed Job? There is none like him. He is righteous in all of his ways. He's, he, was, he, was, he was a man who was upright and blameless. And Satan says, you know, Lord, here's the thing. Man, you look at all that you've given him, all the land and the property and the family and everything you've given him. He only worships you because you've done that. It's skin for skin. I mean, you've done for him, so he's going to do for you. And, and you may remember the, the story and the, and the conversation that goes back and forth. But finally, God says, you can touch everything but his life. And you know the story, and we find Job sitting in ashes. He's lost all of his children. He's lost everything he's owned, every possession that he has. He has absolutely nothing. Even his wife tells him to curse God, and she walks away. And would Job then curse God? Was his life more than the possessions and the things that he had? He struggled. I mean, he says in, in Job 7, 16, he says, I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. I mean, he struggled with, with life and the consequences. In fact, his friends came around and started telling him, the only reason these bad things happen is because there's got to be sin in your life. And, and Job's crawling, crawling out. He's saying, but I'm not. I haven't sinned. There is no sin. In fact, he even asked for a mediator between him and God so he could plead his case to God. This is no different in Ecclesiastes when, when uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life because of what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. In fact, that word vanity is the idea of kind of like if you, were to, if you were out there blowing bubbles, you know, when you're a kid, you put the deal in, you blow and the bubbles start floating. And as you reach for one of those bubbles and you touch it, it disappears. It's, it's like striving after the wind, trying to catch the wind. You can't do it. And, the, and Solomon was saying life, he hated all the doings under the, under the sun. In fact, in, in chapter 7, I think he says there, he talks about the vanity of life because he's seen the righteous who, who die in righteousness and then he sees the wicked whose life is prolonged in wickedness. And, and in his mind, he, he doesn't understand that. He's struggling with those things. He sees and he also sees, I believe, in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes where he makes a reference to the, that we're just to be about the portion of our life that we toil about. And that's our portion. And in the midst of that, he saw difficulties with that. And Job was no different. Job kind of just, he was, he was saddened by his life because of all that had fallen on him. And, and he wished somehow he could make a case, but where is there to be a case? And then a and then a wise young man by the name of Elihu comes to, to Job in the beginning in chapter 33 of Job. And he comes to Job and he says to him, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives my life, gives me life. In fact, Elihu begins to, 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 to talk to Job and, and he says, in fact, a couple of verses after that, he says, I've been pinched from the clay just like you. I, when he's making this comment, he's saying, hey, the breath of life comes from God. I begin there. And, and Elihu goes through this long discourse of really rebuking Job. And as Job becomes, begins and God speaks to Job and he comes to his senses, then Job says in 40, chapter 42, verse 3, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I find this verse really 
really grabbed my heart. Because how often have I challenged God about things of life, about things that were too wonderful for me, things that I did not know, that I did not understand. In fact, Job says he puts his hand over his mouth, lest some words would fall out again. You see, when we talk about the purpose and and the essence of our life, we go back to the creator. It's more than these things. And that's what what he says when he talks about in in Matthew. In fact, before they go there, I I find it interesting that in this this challenge that, that, that Satan has of Job is that he really believed that the only reason Job would worship God was because of the possessions that he had. Think about that. His accusation was a result of what he believed. And so many times we've got to be careful in the midst of of everything that we're going on that we don't start building into our lives things that we think protect and give us the meaning and the purpose of life. We've got to be careful of that. In fact, even in the middle of this this pandemic, in the middle of these things, some some of us may be running with fear. We may have gripped within our very soul and we forgot about the one we depend on. It becomes very easy. Job sat in the ashes of life and boy, he had every reason. I, I, I pray to God I never have to experience what he experienced on earth that he experienced. And life is tough sometimes. But in the midst of it, we have to be reminded that he is the one we rest in. And often in the Old Testament, we find that they were very dependent on, 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 on the things of life. They evaluated by how their life was going was directly tied to their spirituality. And then in Matthew chapter 6, you see where Jesus comes along and you start seeing a change in things. He says in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your your body, what you will put on. Now notice what he says. Do not be anxious about your life. And then he goes to the very basics of of our necessities of life. He goes to the very base of what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will put on. The very basics of our shelter, of our clothing, of our, of, our, of our food and survival. And then he asked this question, and I underlined it because this, this verse has haunted me for a couple of months now. Is not life more than the food and the body more than clothing? Isn't, isn't life more than these things? And now you think about it. If I quit eating, I mean, it brings a certain end, doesn't it? And Jesus is saying here, he's telling them, is life more than these things? And the expected answer is yes, it is. In fact, I believe it's in later on in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus talking to him, he tells him, be on your guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is warning him, be aware that life is more than these possessions. Life is more than these things that we gather together to to think that this is what gives us life. And yet we feel an emptiness at many times in our walks with God. How many times have things started happening and you start going, I wonder where God is. Well, God hasn't left. God is still there. He's still on the throne. He's still the king of kings. He's still the Lord of lords. He hasn't changed the way he does things. And he's not going to change them to pacify us either. 
We are his people. And life is more than these things. And you know, I began to notice as I was walking through these scriptures, as I was looking at these words on life, I began to notice a dramatic change as we get into the New Testament. When Jesus comes on the scene, man, the, the terminology really changes. And it begins to challenge us. In fact, in John chapter 1 and verse 4, it's talking about Jesus. Here it's in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 4 it says, in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. That in him is life. You want to know purpose of life. You want to know meaning of life. Well, you got to look to Jesus. There's no other way to look at it, dear people of God. If we call ourselves the people of God and we call ourselves the children of God, is there another that we look to to find the purpose in which we exist and why we live? It's interesting that as the narrative begins, Jesus begins to challenge those things. You remember Lazarus? John, if we were to go to John chapter 11, remember Lazarus, he had died and Jesus waited a couple days. And then as he enters, he sees Martha and Jesus tells her, your brother's gonna rise again. And Martha responds and she says, Lord, I know that he will rise on the, uh, uh, in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says, no, he doesn't really say no, but in the intensity of the passage, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Right here, standing in front of you, Martha, it's not some day down the road. It's right now, right here. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Right here it begins. And though you die, you will live. And man, just the power of that statement. It blows me away. It excites me in my heart. It gives me juice for my life. Because I serve the resurrection. I serve the one who gives life. And he is my life. He is the resurrection that gives me life. John, the apostle John, writing this great gospel that he gave us in chapter 20, and I believe verse 31, he says, these things I have written that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And believing you might have life in him. Now, dear people of God, I know you know these things. I know you know them. But I also know in the middle of of difficulties, we soon forget them. We start thinking in the mundane aspects of our lives and in the middle of a pandemic when, when fear or uncertainty begins to grip our hearts, we begin to forget those things, don't we? And we have to be reminded, and it is not a problem for me to remind you because it excites me to hear these things and to remind these things about my own life excites me. And it vibrates vibrates in the very being of my life that he is the resurrection and the life. In fact, if we were to go to 2 Timothy chapter one, verses nine through 10, and dear people, God, I know you're at home, put on your seatbelts. Um, if there's a passage that's going to get me excited, this, one's ex- this one blows me out of the water. Get your seatbelts on, hang on. But dear people of God, may your ears hear what the Spirit of God says in these words. May your hearts be open to hear what he has to say. In 2 Timothy, in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. He's telling him to be strong, that he's going to have to share in the sufferings of Christ, 
by the power of God. And then he says this, he says, who saved us, God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. This is a powerful passage. Notice three things here. First, it says, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling and who, who uh, brought light, life and mortality to light through the gospel. Notice what he says there. He saved us, dear people of God, and he called us to a holy calling. And so many times I think when we talk about the gospel and we talk about God saving us, we're so busy telling people that they're sinners that we forget that God has a bigger comprehensive plan for us. Think about what I just said. Some of you won't like it. Do we have to understand that there's sin in our life and that we fall short of the kingdom of the holiness of God? Absolutely, the scriptures teach that. But that's not the only message. There is a message as well that God in his comprehensive purpose for our lives has a plan. He has an intention for us and it's in Christ Jesus. And it's a, to a higher calling that he would make us righteous in the dear son in what Jesus has done. But by our faith in him, he makes us righteous and he pardons our offenses and he pardons our shortcomings. And he calls us to himself and he puts his spirit in us and he begins to transform us into the likeness of his dear son. And he gives us a place in his kingdom. What an amazing message, the gospel. And dear people of God, we want to proclaim it, but we need to live it. We need to understand that the power of what God is doing in our lives is an everyday thing. It's not on Sunday and it's not just when we pray, but it's every breath that we take and it's every step that we take, it's everywhere that we go, that we as God's people are allowing God to work out his purposes in our lives that we have in the gospel. Look what he says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, not because of what I've done, I can't do anything to make myself any better in the sight of God than what Jesus did for me. But you know, in the first century church, they struggled with a couple of things. There was this one group who, who believed that matter was evil. They both believed matter was evil, but one group believed matter was evil. So the way that they, they entered into righteousness and spirituality is they would beat their bodies. They would, they would starve themselves. They would do everything they can to try to, to try to do away with the body and render it useless. And then there was another group who said, you know what, I can't do anything, there's evil in me, it's not gonna have any, any use in the eternity, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm saved in Jesus. And they would do horrible things in the name of, of the flesh and it didn't matter. You had both of these going on, that's why Paul writes to them and says, do not use your freedom for sin. Do not allow it to, to be something that you do in order to sin, the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. The freedom to set you free to live the gospel, to live in Christ. It's not by your works, it's by his works. But dear people of God, when we come to Christ, it isn't over, it, the hard work continues. It's a work of faith and it's a work of dependence on Christ on a daily basis. 
It's not the accomplishment of my own goals, my own purposes. It's accomplishment of what he wants to do in us. What does God want to do in you? And the reason you may be struggling in your walk, the reason you may be struggling in understanding life is maybe you don't understand what God wants to do in your life. And it's important to seek him and understand that. To understand how he has set you apart unto a work, unto a purpose. Dear people of God, understand that. That it's not because of our works, but look what it says. But because of his own purpose and grace. Not because of what I've done, but God's purpose. God has a purpose. He has bestowed upon you grace because he has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose in what he wants to accomplish in and through you. Man, is that amazing? I, I, I hope you, I, if you don't have your seatbelt on, you should be rolling around in the, your living room right now, jumping up and down, that God has a purpose for us. Hallelujah, amen, that we would be a people understanding this. And he gave it to us, look where he gave it to us, he, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. I don't have a card that pull, I can pull out and say, look, I'm a Christian. I don't have something that, that, that shines out there. It's what I have in Jesus Christ. In Jesus is my purpose and my life. You know, I, I talk so many times when, and I've, over the years with young people in the last few years. And people are leaving the church like crazy, right? We all know that. Because they're seeing in the church, they're seeing people who, live in, who are living and it looks more like they just added God to their life than they're living for God. I hear that over and over again. And they don't see it no different than a person out in the world who just added their favorite hobby or their favorite pastime. It's no different to them. And dear God, dear people of God, God forbid that would be named among the people of God. That people cannot see the passion that we have and the intentionality and the determination that we have to follow after him. To understand his purpose in our lives. In fact, he says, before the ages began, that, I don't have time to really go through that. I love that, that phrase, that before time, God already had a purpose and plan. Chew on that. Chew on that. He already had a purpose and a plan for you, which has now been manifested, were revealed through the, the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, that now this has been made known, it's been made manifest because Jesus has appeared, who, look, abolished death. He conquered death. When, on that day when, when Adam and Eve sinned and sinned in and through the world, death reigned and sin reigned, but it reigns no more. That's why Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, and though you die, you will live. Why? Because of he's accomplished, he's overcome the, the death. He's abolished it once and for all. And as a result of that, he brought life. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That in the gospel, we, that's why we need to live the gospel. Because in it is life. In it is mortality. It's interesting. Are these two separate things? Whereas immortality explaining life. It was interesting as I read several folks about this. I do think they're, they're, they're tied together. But I also think this idea of life is the idea that it begins now. It's not something I'm waiting for in eternity it's not something I'm waiting for Jesus to come and then hopefully I'll have life. No, life begins now. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he was telling Martha, right now, right here, 
My life has already begun. And yes, I may experience death, but death will not conquer. Death will not rule. I will continue to live. And right now, in this day, in this time, in this place, I will begin to walk by faith and trusting in Christ. Our life is not measured by the things about us. You know what's amazing about this passage? That the apostle Paul said, talking about Jesus who abolished death. You know where where Paul is when he writes this? He's in prison. He's cold, we know that because he asked for a coat. He's not in the best circumstances that he could find himself. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about our victory in Christ. That he has abolished death. And Paul is sitting there. In fact, we believe he never left prison, that he was, that he was a martyr during that time. He faced death. He saw it head on. And it did not define him. What defined him is who he is in Christ Jesus. He didn't let the prison define who he was. He didn't let the change define who he was. Because he understood who he was in Christ Jesus. And dear people of God, it's no different for you. This pandemic doesn't define us. This world does not define us. Our jobs don't define us. It is Christ who defines us. If we are his children and we are his people, we are defined by the person of Jesus Christ, that in Christ is our life. Our life is hidden with him, and he is our life. And we're going to be looking at a lot of those passages. We're going to be looking at a lot of them. It's Christ in me. Wow. I probably have another 30 minutes, guys. i gotta, I got to break it off. Hear my heart. Hear my heart, dear people, dear church, dear people of God. Hear my heart. We are his people. The purpose and the essence of your life is found in Christ. Over the next four or five weeks, we're going to be looking. We're going to be looking at some of the passages that have had a profound impact on me personally. And what they say about our life in Christ, about living the gospel. There's a passage I would like to have gotten to today, but it's going to have to come up next week or the week after. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what does that look like? What does it mean to live Christ? To, 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 to live by faith in him. That the life that I live is no longer me, but it's Christ in me. And that life I live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. What does that mean? So dear people of God, be in prayer. I pray that today you were encouraged. I pray the day that you were strengthened, that you might stand in the person of Jesus Christ today. So let's pray. Father God, speak to us, your people. May, Father, people be encouraged and understand today that the life that we have is in Christ. And one day Christ is going to be revealed. And you know what? Your word, God, tells us that we will be revealed with him in glory. But Father, it isn't that day that I exist for. I exist today because I'm in Christ today. What a joy, oh God, that you would be loving towards us in such a way and your mercy and your grace towards us that, Father, you had your purpose already laid out in the gospel in Christ Jesus. 
Father, teach us. May your spirit move among your people. May you, Father, speak to us. May we be encouraged. May we be strengthened. Father, if we, if we have a hard heart, oh, God, please break it down. Be gentle, but God, break it down, whatever it takes, that we might hear, that we might respond, that we might depend on you, oh, God. To you, oh, God, be the glory and the praise and their adoration forever and ever and ever. Amen.